Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter audio cast. This is volume 11, issue number 29, all things coronavirus update number 39. I'm your host, Dr. M, and I will be going over the latest and greatest related to COVID in America and around the world, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, let's get to the disclaimer. The information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional, and it is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. All right, everybody. So, you know, as always, I want to start with some free thoughts. Uh, just happened that July 4th just passed, and I want to read a little statement that I put down. As we celebrate the annual remembrance of American independence, let us remember to teach our children that freedom is worth fighting for at all times, but only when absolutely necessary. Intolerance is not a good life ideal. Compromise is the key to long-lasting peace lest we fall back into polarity and war. I have yet to see a war that does not damage the innocent despite the apparent good cause. Thus. We should celebrate the fight that must occur, but teach temperance, honesty or justice, courage when needed, and learned wisdom. These are the ideals that prevent war and lead to peace. Without getting political, you know, that's the bottom line of education of children. We should be teaching children temperance, tolerance, honesty, and all the ideals that help us as a society make better decisions over time as we age and grow in order to keep a tolerant, lovely, beautiful American society. All right, let's switch gears now and get into coronavirus. So this is issue number 39 of the coronavirus update. Latest numbers are still available at Google and the CDC websites, although this is really starting to slow down precipitously. Um, most states are at a steady state with vaccinations and disease for uh, SARS-2 COVID. There does not seem to be any further movement on the vaccine front or significant infection front as far as lots more people getting vaccinated and or lots more people getting infected. There are some pockets of disease in poorly vaccinated communities in the United States, um, but the volume is still relatively minor. The vaccines continue to be effective against all variants, including the Delta variant that is spreading around the world that seemed to have started in India. As it stands today, the numbers are pretty clear. The United States has 33.7 million cases since the beginning of the pandemic and almost 605,000 deaths. There is still no change in the knowledge that more than 80% of the deaths are skewed toward the over 55 age group and that 94% of all deaths occurred in a person with a comorbid disease. Mathematically, you still have a 99.9998% chance of survival once vaccinated. It's a phenomenal number. The vaccines work, and I hope everyone who's listening to this um, has had their vaccine. I mean, it just makes that much sense if you're an adult. Coronavirus update number 39, quick hits. All right, number one. It's going to be a little bit of a repeat from two weeks ago, but just added some new information on the MISC problem. It's a big deal. So we're going to look into this a little further. Remember that MISC is otherwise known as multi-inflammatory syndrome C, and it is associated with poor intestinal function from a microbiome perspective coupled to genetic weaknesses and immune suppression of a chemokine or a cell signal called CXCL9 
post-inflammatory response that the body goes through with the virus. Research from the lab of Dr. Alessia Fasano has shown direct evidence of intestinal permeability, or otherwise known as leaky gut, in the children that succumb to a severe case of multi-inflammatory syndrome, C, or potentially death. The authors found that the children, unlike adults, their harboring site for SARS-2 takes up residence in the intestines and replicates there as opposed to in the lungs. The virus is found in the stool of the child via testing. This is a unique finding to children as the intestine is not known to be the harboring site for the virus in the adults. The expert researcher on the paper, Dr. Fasano, has extensive knowledge of the function of the intestinal mucosal lining and the fact the cells are held together by tight junctions made up of different proteins forming a semi-impermeable membrane. This becomes very important in this case because in the study, they found out that the protein zonulin, known to be uh, used in opening these junctions, these tight junctions between the cells of the intestinal lining, they were, that was found to be elevated in the children with MISC. This indicates that the intestinal integrity has been compromised during the infection. They further solidified this case by showing that the SARS-2 spike protein, quote-unquote, leaked through this formerly impermeable barrier into the bloodstream. The spike protein then caused an elevation of immune activity in the blood, and uh, this was consistent with what we call a cytokine storm or a cell signal storm that turns on the inflammatory system at a you know, mock level. Then the work of Dr. Ed Barron's group in CHOP uh, noted that the ability to turn off a specific chemical cell signal called CXCL9 post-viral exposure um, and then the secondary immune enhancement led to runaway immune inflammation if you couldn't turn the signal off. What's most interesting in these rare and susceptible children is that they see the virus in the respiratory tract, kill it, and move on with little or no symptoms for um, up to two to four weeks. And then we see them in clinic with the symptoms that we call MISC, owing to this shift of viral replication to the intestine after the primary viremia infection in the lungs or nasopharynx. Uh, the paper by Dr. Fasano noted that there is increased knowledge that the intestine serves as ground zero for SARS-2 COVID disease uh, in children, and that in severe cases, microbial dysbiosis um, the abnormal bacterial makeup and disruption of the gastrointestinal barrier drive inflammatory activation. MISC in children is delayed for weeks after the initial infection when the virus is no longer found in the nose respiratory tract, making the source of the virus a different replication location in MISC. They also showed that weeks after the initial infection, they could isolate RNA, the ribonucleic acid or the genetic makeup of the SARS-2 virus in the intestine. There, the virus causes intestinal inflammation and permeability, leading to spike proteins leaking into the bloodstream, which then triggers a downstream cascade of events we see of as inflammation, and the immune response then leads to systemic-wide damage. Most therapies, including steroids, which are really potent anti-inflammatory medicines, and then IVIG, which is basically intravenous immune globulin or pooled proteins that help sort of bind up the, the uh, viral particles are not clearing out the spike protein so much as, you know, they're, they're dealing with the inflammatory side effects post-viral exposure. And this, unfortunately, is telling us that what we're doing is addressing the downstream inflammation, not so much the most important upstream generator of the inflammation, which is the spike protein. In one study, they uh, looked at a 17-month-old sick child 
with uh, COVID, uh, specifically MISC, and they used a drug called lorazotide, a zonulin antagonist. Remember, zonulin is the protein uh, that uh, opens up the tight junctions between the cells of the intestinal lining. This drug is an antagonist of that protein, so in effect, it's trying to block the ability of this leaky gut event to occur. And this investigational therapy uh, was used at this blocking point, and what we found was that it increased the intestinal tight junction um, stiffness, or what we called holding it together, which then reduced the spike protein leaking into the blood, and then the corresponding inflammatory reaction was also reduced. Uh, this occurred, and that's fantastic news, and hopefully the study will continue looking at other cases, and maybe this will be a drug that we can use in the future, which would be fantastic. So unpacking all of this stuff for MISC quickly, we see here that this is clearly a disease occurring in individuals with prior comorbidities, putting them at risk from baseline inflammation. That's been relatively asked and answered. There is a genetic predisposition in some individuals to be missing a gene to suppress the immune inflammatory response once it starts. Another problem. Dysbiosis or poorly balanced intestinal bacteria is definitely a risk factor for MISC and dysbiosis is caused by chronically poorly decided lifestyle decisions, including diet, exercise, um, you know, the exposure to chemicals and many other things that can mess up the intestinal bacteria. We cannot change the genetic risk for a negative outcome, but we can absolutely change our decisions that promote these antecedent risk factors such as the dysbiosis. So our focus really needs to be on how do we maintain a sense of baseline health so that the virus doesn't have the opportunity to put us into a dysfunctional position. So in my mind, yet again, this puts us in a position where we have personal control of our health outcomes. Uh, we can as parents and, you know, and just humans in general make the following decisions to reduce our risk, you know, for COVID negative outcomes and specifically MISC for our kids. You know, for kids, I would look at this. Number one, no matter what happened in the past, clean up your child's diet by switching to an anti-inflammatory diet, a Whole30 diet, or at least a no processed whole food diet that is made up predominantly of vegetables and fruits. A highly processed modern American diet is the most important antecedent trigger of dysbiosis, intestinal permeability, and frankly, all disease. Number two, if you plan to have a child soon, breastfeed your infant from birth and practice healthy weight gain during pregnancy to set the stage for a healthy uh, child microbiome. This is critical. The pre-pregnant time is a perfect, perfect time to put yourself in the best position for a healthy outcome through pregnancy, and that's by choosing an anti-inflammatory diet, exercise, and do all the basics of health. Number three, get adequate sleep based on age requirements. For most kids, that's about eight to 10 hours nightly. This will help reduce sleep-deprived immune activation. Number four, practice chemical and toxin avoidance by avoiding the consumption of unnecessary drugs that affect the gut, including antacids, antibiotics, non-steroidal medicines, and, and the like. These medicines are known to negatively affect the intestinal microflora balance, and thus they promote dysbiosis, which again is the one of the antecedent triggers of this MISC disease. Number five, practice mental health stress reduction through prayer, meditation, art therapy, counseling, and more. Number six, exercise and move often, stimulating gut motility and evacuation, which prevents constipation and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. 
And then there's a link to all of these um, findings on the newsletter, um, and you can look further at gut microbiome risk prevention. Um, there's a link for that as well. Okay, number two, the variants. SARS-2 version B1.617.2, otherwise known as Delta, is emerging as a new troublemaker. First seen in India in December of last year, it is rapidly spreading in the United Kingdom and the western states of the United States. Early data for the Delta variant is showing increasing transmissibility, between 40 and 60% higher than the original Wuhan strain, and maybe even slightly more morbidity um, in the under-vaccinated under population, but this doesn't seem to be bearing out in the latest statistical analyses. The mRNA vaccines continue to work very well against this new Delta variant, especially with Pfizer-BioNTech showing 88% efficacy against symptomatic disease from the Delta variant after two doses of the drug plus two weeks after the second dose. And that comes from the UK government website. National Geographic has a really good comprehensive article on the Delta variant. You can find it at the link on the newsletter. And then, you know, we looked at a Lancet article by Shake It All, and they showed that the, the new, Delta, uh, new data on the Delta variant in Scotland appears to show a double risk of hospitalization versus previously circulating variants in the unvaccinated population only, but not in the vaccinated population. But I have not seen any data that there's a increased death risk, but we'll watch that carefully. And then, you know, there's still zero evidence that the Delta variant is more problematical to children at any age. I have seen nothing that says kids are more likely to have a bad outcome. Again, I think the kids are more likely to get sick right now just because the adults are no longer getting sick to the same volume. So the group that's actually getting sick now are those that have been unexposed previously. And this may or may not be kids um, because they're not getting vaccinated. So we may see more kids getting sick as a comparator to the rest of the population. But I don't think absolute numbers wise are seeing a big difference. Number three, more data as to why we are seeing a flatline curve despite a more transmissible variant circulating in the U.S. is noted here. Quote, in this investigation, we examine the magnitude, breadth, and durability of SARS-CoV-2 specific antibodies in the two distinct B-cell compartments, long-lived plasma cells derived antibodies in the plasma, and peripheral memory B-cells along with their associated antibody profiles elicited after in vitro stimulation. We found that magnitude varied amongst individuals, but was highest in the hospitalized subject. Variants of concern, RBD reactive antibodies were found in the plasma of 72% of samples in this investigation, and variants of concern, RBD reactive memory B cells were found in all but one subject at a single time point. This finding that the variants of concern um, RBD reactive MBCs are present in the peripheral blood of all subjects, including those that experience asymptomatic or mild disease, provides a reason for optimism regarding the capacity of vaccination, prior infection, and or both to limit disease severity and transmission of variants of concern as they continue to rise and circulate. This is by Liskey et al. in 2021. This is pretty important. Because despite the fact that that was a mouthful to read and it's immunologically very difficult to understand, the simple answer is we're getting data now that these two forms of what we call uh, programmed memory cells are finding similar homology or they have the activity against the variants um, no matter what's come out in society, uh, excuse me, in the viral world to date in our societies. So we're looking good right now for um, a post-vaccination you know, honeymoon against this virus. And hopefully we'll continue to be without further risk of lockdowns or all these kinds of troubles that are associated with high disease burden in society. Okay, number four, 
A disturbing study from MedRxiv is showing that mild to severe cases of COVID are causing relatively similar issues in the brain with tissue loss. It's not a good thing as we do not do a good job of regrowing brain tissue once we've damaged it, especially as you age. The group looked at 394 patients and 388 controls who had received a brain scan before the pandemic had affected them and then after developing the illness. Only 15 of the 394 patients that were looked at required a hospitalization um, uh, visit based on the severity of disease. Yet they found a significant loss of brain gray matter, especially in the regions related to taste and smell in this study population. So this was done by Duhad et al., D-O-U-A-U-D et al., 2021. So we'll have to follow this more closely, but it appears that SARS-CoV-2 in certain patients, and it seems to be a lot of them, is showing some you know, uh, infl- inflammatory damage to the parts of the brain that are involved in taste and smell long-term, which is not a great thing. Number five, the mRNA vaccines are working to help unvaccinated individuals. Here, by analyzing vaccination records and test results collected during the rapid vaccine rollout in a large population from 177 geographically defined communities, we find that the rates of vaccination in each community are associated with a substantial later decline in infections among cohort of individuals aged under 16 years old who are unvaccinated. On average, for every 20 percentage points of individuals who are vaccinated in a given population, the positive test fraction for the unvaccinated population de- decreased approximately twofold, end quote. Millman et al., 2021. So assuming this data set is verified in future analyses, which is highly likely, we now know that we are about 50%, per- we're, at, we're pretty much at a 50% vaccination rate nationwide in many and most communities. We then now can say there's a five-fold or 500% reduction in disease transmission among the under 16-year-old age range based on this data. This is playing out clinically in our office as we're seeing rare COVID cases in all children since late April when vaccinations hit a community high. This yet again teaches us how effective vaccination is in stopping a mass disease transmission on a pandemic level at a population level and why that's so important. Number six, long lasting memory is happening. And remember that the immune system is poised to respond to new but similar protein structures and viruses through an elegant system of memory. Sort of, we touched on this a little bit before, but in detail, when a virus like SARS-2 has the ability to mutate its RNA sequence, it's it's sort of its genomic makeup, and make variants of itself like we're talking about that provided an advantage for transmission or survival, we must counteract this action in a similar way. This is exactly what happens. Our immune systems have the ability once they've seen the virus to select for specific high affinity antibodies against SARS-2. Then the cells that make these antibodies can go hide and and be dormant in the bone marrow lymph tissues around our body with the express goal of activating at lightning speed if the virus like SARS-2 happens to show up again, even if it's a variant mutation. This comes from Palm et al. in 2019. So, In principle, the reason behind why the variants are offering no major risk, again, looking at it from this perspective, is that, you know, people who are previously infected or have been vaccinated, you know, have this ability to have a memory system in place. You know, the scariest part of the pre-vaccine era for me was not knowing what these variants were going to do as we're seeing mutations occur in this virus um, that appeared to be relatively frequent and potentially more frustrating. 
But it turns out that our amazingly smart immune system has found a way to thwart this process time and time again. And that's allowing us all to breathe easier and live life despite what, you know, some in the media are saying about these variants. I, I have yet to see anything that makes me scared about a variant to date if you're vaccinated. Until we see a variant that is circumventing this long-lived plasma cell system or memory B cell system, I personally am going to live my life without fear and to the best of my ability as happily as possible. Number seven, big study from the UK regarding COVID spread at large events is very reassuring. 58,000 spectators at multiple events ended up leading to only 28 COVID cases. It's further evidence and reassuring news that the vaccinations coupled to individuals with prior infection have provided a viral reproductive buffer at mass events. Data comes from the BBC um, uh, journal article that I read. Yeah, you know, so for me, it's time to get back to concerts and stadiums. And frankly, I have. I've already seen uh, one comedian um, in a small hall, which was great, and uh, two small hall concerts. I hope everybody who's been vaccinated really is getting out there and living life again. And if you haven't been vaccinated, then, you know, hope you've had the virus already and did well with it. And if not, at least take the best care you can of your body if you choose not to get vaccinated. So therefore, your risk is low. Number eight. Is prior infection from SARS-2 protective? To date, the most of the data would say yes, especially from severe disease. Now we see a study by Dr. Sheehan and colleagues reporting that, quote, of these, excuse me, of those with initial negative testing, there were 5,449 or 3%, 3.9% were subsequently positive, and 3,191 of those, or 58.5%, were symptomatic. Protection offered from prior infection was 81.8% against symptomatic infection, um, which was 84.5%. You know, so this protection increased over time. Sheehan et al. Um, was the uh, author of that article in 2021. So this is in line, albeit slightly less than the vaccination data that we're seeing. So again, all the studies keep pointing to a quality immunity post-vaccination or disease with a memory B cell showing a robust response in multiple studies. We're in good shape for a while and hopefully this will stay for a long, long, long time. Again, I don't think there's any plan in my mind that we're gonna have to get a booster yearly like the flu. I think it's more likely to be every three to seven years or even every 10 years like tetanus, uh, but these are guesses. Number nine, in a cool article from uh, about the physics of SARS-2 aerosol movements in the lungs, we see that 65% of the viral particles reach the distal lung tissue where the oxygen is exchanged and that the right, middle, and upper lung are the most affected regions. Islam et al. Uh, did that research. Uh, the SARS-2 virus is a 120 nanometer creature in size, making it extremely small and transmissible to the distal lung tissue where it can do the most damage. The predilection for the right lung is clinically useful as that makes a focus of therapy in the ICU uh, in that location. Number 10, if you have confirmed COVID infection, then one vaccine dose is enough of a booster to have fantastic immunity and 100% uh, prevention of severe disease. Many European countries are no longer recommending two doses after confirmed illness. This data comes from Dolgin, D-O-L-G-I-N et al., 2021, and personally agree. As we go through life with these pandemics, we learn data points that help us shift and mutate our choices. Um, you know, to do what makes the most sense. And in this case, if one vaccine post-infection is enough, that's all I would do. Number 11, preschool children with asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic COVID disease are mounting robust immune responses at eight months post-infection. Cruz et al., 2021. 
The data continues to show us that young children are getting exposed and clearing the virus rapidly with little to no long-term problems and have great immunity to, immunity to date. And that, to me, continues to be the main thrust of the data review over the last 39 COVID newsletters. Kids are doing well with rare exceptions, and the rare exceptions are going to be in cases where kids have intestinal dysbiosis and genetic weaknesses for problem. But otherwise, kids are doing great. So not terribly worried about kids at this point still. Section two, memory. Remember that the immune system is poised to respond to a recurrence of a pathogen because of memory T and B cells that have been programmed in response to a natural infection or a vaccine. The reason that we develop memory immune cells specifically targeted to each pathogen that we encounter is because of the reality that if we kept the pathogen-specific proteins called antibodies to all our pathogens around in high volume, our blood would turn to sludge and we would die. Therefore, yet again, we sell the elegance of a system set up to expand and contract as needed for a given risk. SARS-2 is no different in this case. We are seeing great immunity post-illness and vaccination. There's evidence now that the lasting BNT cells with specific memory have taken up residence, our lymph system, and our bone marrow ready to respond as needed. And this is the key, right? So memory cells keep us whole without binding up our blood with all these proteins floating around, but they're sitting there ready to rock and roll at all, at all causes, post-infection or post-vaccination. The amazing reality is that we make around 100 or more billion, with a B, white blood cells daily, or 69.44 million white blood cells per minute that can be used all day to fight disease and injury. They are recycled in the body as frequently as they are made. Again, a marvel at the beauty of our elegant immune system. All we really need to do, frankly, is maintain proper health through exercise, stress reduction, quality nutrition, and sleep, and our immune cells will be active and happy and function for us as best as they can, considering the makeup of our immune system and our genetics. Those that we can control, we should control. Those things that we cannot control, we just have to live with. And frankly, that's the bottom line to most things in life. We should be spending all of our bandwidth energy on trying to be the best versions of our human selves so that we have the least risk of any outcome moving forward. And this is for infectious disease, chronic metabolic disease, driving a car, you name it, right? And so let's spend our time working on those things that matter, food, sleep, exercise, mental stress, you know, relationships, uh, loving our kids to death, giving them lots of hugs. Let's put all of our effort into that framework of health. And I am convinced that, you know, next pandemic that shows up will be better ready or better prepared to face it with robustness and with least, with the least ability to lose lives. And that's the key. Losing lives is not a good thing. Losing health is not a good thing. So we really want happiness and peace through a healthful perspective. So that concludes uh, this episode of the audio cast of Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter, Volume 11, Issue 29, The Coronavirus Update. I hope you enjoyed this reading and discussion. And as always, hug your kids, have a great day, and I look forward to uh, talking to you again.